They're saying that President Truman has no knowledge of any secret project by this government that would give substance to the existence of such objects. Ross also said that both the Air Force and the Navy deny that such objects exist. Hey, I'm Chelsea, and I'm the battle cry of a thousand angry Branch Davidians. And hey, what's up? My name's Noelle, and I am the ghost of Bill Cooper. And we have a podcast called Freaky Geeks, where you can hear us scream about birds not being real, and Stan Lee being the real-life inspiration for the little girl backwards crab-walking down the stairs in The Exorcist. Find us on all social media and listen to episodes anywhere podcasts are heard. Special thanks to D9 for providing the music for this episode and many of our previous episodes. We were lucky enough to grab several of those and put them together as the music bed for our episodes that we're doing here about Candyman and Hannibal. And I wanted to thank him for the spooky tones and music that he's bringing in. He also wrote our James Bond theme in season one. So just a shout out to D9 go check out his live stream on YouTube. The link is in the show notes. Go check it out every day. Go give him a like, subscribe, and leave him some comments and tell him what beats you like. This one is called Sliding. It's one of my favorites. It's one of his most viewed right now. Go and have a listen, and thanks to D9 for providing our music. Children! trade franchise goodbye hey everybody <laughs> welcome to a very classy episode of kiss your franchise goodbye harry basketballs this is the this is the first uh academy award winning movie that we've ever covered on this uh on this podcast wait Candyman didn't win any oscars no i'm unfortunately oh, that's un- yeah I, yeah I really- um it's the Silence of the Lambs, and Take that blade too. <laughs> hey, did the Philadelphia Story win an Oscar? I thought it did. Oh, okay. Well, That's yeah. True. Okay, okay. Okay. This, this is the movie. second time. We, so I've already outed you pre-broadcast. This is the second time, Andy. Like, no, let's, let's try not. But that that's not part again. of a franchise. Like, we've never. That's true. Uh, most th- is... I think that's one of the hallmarks of most franchises is they're not generally seen as artsy enough to to 
you know, go big at the award show. Or, or they and they're not, or they're not the as any good. Yeah, they're ignoring the, the Godfather. They win all the technical awards, right? Yeah. Okay. Correct, Mark. You're right. But uh, and and there Ooh, there are trick. the occasional there are occasional ones that do that. But by and large, you know, your Fast and Furiouses are not <laughs> uh, picking up fast and acting Oscars. To be fair, and, I mean, it, 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 it does help when your lead actor is 87 years old during filming. It makes it less action based. So, so okay. So let's let's introduce the crew. Me, JB. <laughs> before we before we go any before we go any further, uh, I'm Andy Wilson, your host. Go read my stuff. Graphic policy. Bleeding cool. Here, our returning champion, Woo! Melissa Martinez. How are you doing? Podcaster number one. Uh, no, this week I get to be Melissa. Fuck oh, you. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Girls rule this time. Exactly. Well, one, well, one, two, two girls, I guess. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah. The, well, you know, the women rule when they're not being fucking murdered in this movie. But Seriously. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That that is true, um, yeah. And uh, also, also here, uh, the the Casey Lemons to Melissa's Clarice Starling, Brookheim. Welcome. How you doing? Does she, she know she's on mute? She's oh, on mute. she's on she's mute. On yeah, well, I'm like, <laughs> I was talking up a storm over here, <laughs> but I guess that's the way you like us, is silent. No, <laughs> just kidding. I'm no lamb. Uh, I'm doing very well. Screaming. Thanks. Doing very well. Awesome. Happy to not have been eaten. I feel sheepish now. <clears throat> oh, Jesus. Oh, God. Already. Uh, okay, I'm going to... Please, for... please tell me they get better from here on out, JB. Please. Just for that, I'm introducing Mark next. Mark. <laughs> Mark Dillion. How... You know... Welcome back. If we're all nice and quiet, we can still hear Inagata DeVita playing. That's right. From the lectern. Oh, sorry. It's still playing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, true. And uh, already making his presence very well known on the podcast so far. <laughs> JB Flinders, how you doing? Hey, thanks, everyone. I, uh, I've i learned a lot today. Some things which shook me to my core, uh, which we may get into later in the podcast. Things things I thought things I knew. will be revealed. That I, don't, I just don't know anymore. But it, it's, it's always a pleasure to... to to see the four of you virtually. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna get I'm gonna get outed for a apparently a major cinematic blind spot. So cinematic um, sin. And thank yeah. you to all of you that we didn't have to watch Hannibal because I wasn't ready for that turd sandwich yet. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Bracing ourselves so, for next week. But this Han is Hannibal the movie, by the way. Hannibal Ooh. the show is thank really you. good. Hannibal yeah. You gotta, you gotta be specific here. I, I don't yeah. hate Hannibal the movie. I don't hate it. Really? I do. When he eats when he eats oatmeal out of his brain hole, you didn't really turn that one off? It's gonna be it's gonna be fun. So yeah, (laughs) but this is the big kahuna right here. The Silence of the Lambs, as I mentioned, won the Academy Award in nineteen ninety two for Best Picture. Uh, it is also one of only three films ever that have won the big five. Best picture best director best screenplay best actor best actress can anyone name the other two forrest gump no, no. really no actor. yeah and this is actually the yeah 
the Philadelphia yeah. story. Duh. Uh, <laughs> cl close, but no cigar. Um, uh, it's a wonderful life. No. Oh well. Not. Hey, closer because this uh, one of them was directed by Frank Capra. Hmm. Uh, I hope starring... it wasn't Shakespeare in Love, the biggest tragedy of my lifetime. No. Uh, I get over it. <laughs> uh, I own that movie. Uh, starring Clark Gable, It Happened One Night. Oh. And uh, the other one uh, starred Jack hint. Nicholson. As good as it gets? No. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Very good, Mark. Good. Excellent. Mark, Mark is uh, like we racking will, up a podcast. I am equally fire, boys. Mark is on Google. That's what yeah. Mark is. <laughs> I have I have the Googles open. He's got the Wikipedia page open. Just as creepy of a movie. I'm actually having one of those days where I'm I'm pretty lucid, so so I'm on. So, wow. So Andy, right. I'm interested in this because I remember watching this movie like the second year it was out. And I think I was too young because I remember watching it going, that guy can't hang up that dude from a jail cell, right? Like, I, I think I just missed a lot of it because I was younger. Did anybody else watch this movie first when they were young or did most of you come to this? How, how young? What do you call young, dude? Because I was fixing to graduate. Fuck you. I, I saw it like in 92 or 93. I was already in high school. So yeah, I was 14 probably when I saw it. Yeah, yeah I, I, I saw it in high school. Yeah, yeah. I, just I, I thought that too and you know what I thought JB when I was re-watching it the other yeah. day remember how you said when we do because um, we, we didn't do like a chat like we didn't do a watch party with this movie but we did the, the week before with Manhunter and I didn't realize I did this but you said every time we do a chat that you there's always at least one scene where I get pissed and I'm just <laughs> ranting yeah. and you love it that would have been that scene for me because I'm like how the fucking can Hannibal fucking Lecter who hasn't you know he's been in a cell you know for years yeah. and he's got no exercise no place to do I mean he's a paunchy motherfucker how did he get him up there you know like that doesn't make any sense the dude can lift he's 55 years old right that's what we had him at Andy he's 55 and he's completely sedentary yeah. okay yeah, like there's no way, no way. yeah uh, that's hilarious because I that was my same. I remember clear as day watching that when I was younger going, well, now how is he supposed to and why is Chris Isaac here? Like, what is happening in this movie? This makes no sense to me. So I, I think I missed it. Um, Mark, what did you think when you watched it when you were younger? Did Were you super freaked out or was it just kind of like, I oh. loved this movie when I first saw it. Okay. Like, and I'm a, one of his biggest fans. Like, this movie really is my jam. And uh it did something to me that I have never felt before to where I I empathized with Is it electrifying? The main... <laughs> I was like, this yeah. is getting weird. Well, like I completely <laughs> empathized with with the villain. Like, and that's not something you're supposed to do. I, I think the closest no. probably was Darth Wait. Vader. Wait, not in which... this case, I don't think. Wait, which huh? villain which villain are you talking about, Mark? There's lots well, of Hannibal Lecter. Migs. That's who had my vote. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a target out in his bedroom, just aiming away. <laughs> no, like you're not supposed to remotely like or want to like or even care about Hannibal Lecter, like because he's a fucking monster. You're not supposed to feel anything other than just fucking outrage and hate towards this guy and disgust. But like, there's something about him, and I and this is owed to how um, Anthony Hopkins plays him. 
is that he brings that charm to where it disarms you. And it's one of the first movies that actually really does that to me. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that, that's why this movie is just so damn good. And it's balanced out by Clarice and Jodie Foster's portrayal of Clarice. It was just such a perfect fucking combination. And Jonathan Demme directed the fuck out of this movie. Everything about yeah, it is perfect. The tension from start to end is just so taut and so well done that it just, this movie deserved all the Oscars it got and all the attention it got. But yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've weirded myself out that I was kind of rooting for Hannibal Lecter towards the end. And I'm like, why? Like, Jesus Christ. Well, I, and, it's okay. And, you weirded us out too. Yeah. I, know, well, I, I do think it's weird <laughs> that because they do set him up in this weird sympathetic Right, like everybody double crosses him yeah. and all this stuff. But I, I, I felt the same way, Mark, because when I was watching it, I went, "Wow, we're supposed to feel bad for him." Oh, he just ate the ambulance guy. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, we feel bad for him. Oh, he just beat up Murdoch. Murdoch, who I might add from a great movie that some of us may have not seen. Um, so <laughs> Murdoch. Murdoch. But yeah, get you. I think that was the unsettling part, right? Like they they set him up that everybody is just bad double crossing and lying to him and all this stuff. And, and you, when he gets away at the end and he's going to eat Chilton or whatever, you're like, Oh, huh? Well, that ended that. Um, is it, I don't know. Is, is it this weird paternal relationship that he's supposed to be developing with Clarice? Like, is that how they leverage it? I'm, I'm wondering so. what the, yeah. you know, what the psychology is behind it. Yeah. Because I that's that's what I come away from this movie with is I think that actually Hannibal Lecter is being more square with Clarice mm -hmm. than than Scott Glenn is, you know, like, I, I mean, like Jack Crawford is just like, oh, I'm going to throw this uh, this trainee at Lecter to see if I can get some information out of him. And Lecter's like, oh, now this is interesting. And he doesn't like completely take advantage of her, even though their relationship is still creepy. Yeah. But it's honest. And that's, right. uh, you know, I mean, I, I heard, um, uh, I heard, I heard someone say about like the different iterations of, uh, of Hannibal Lecter that Brian Cox played him as a man as mm -hmm. just a serial killer. Yeah. Uh Anthony Hopkins played him like he's Dracula. Oh, and yeah, yeah, then yeah. Mads Mikkelsen played him like he's Satan. So, yes. uh, so you know that yes. you know that's the sort of progression of uh of Hannibal Lecter. And but it, but he brings that romanticism and there's this, um, it is like seduction a little bit, the whole quid pro quo thing and wanting uh, to get this. But also at the same time, I, I feel like maybe this is just Hannibal like, oh, I can see that this person's damaged. I kind of want to do my job. Like I actually love like picking people apart and learning what's wrong about them and if this person's willing to be honest with me, then I will respect them and like help them out to a certain extent. Well, then maybe so. that's, maybe that's the tie in Andy, that, that, that vibe is 
everybody has the chance to be honest with Lecter. He's not stupid, right? And the whole movie, it's almost like people are treating him like he's an idiot, right? Oh, you're just a convict. We don't have to do X, Y, and Z for you, anything like that. I, I don't know. Well, but but they do. I mean, oh, most everybody people. lies to him. I mean, Scott Glenn's character hands him a questionnaire. Come on, right? Like, I mean, all these things happen that basically are trying to set him up almost like he's well not a buffoon but they're I, trying to protect him so i think, I think they, you're right i think they approach him as an object of curiosity uh and he toys with them in return but uh clarice is the one person who's pure in the entire movie the only person the only character that, that has absolute purity to them is clarice and i think this is what drives hannibal lecter that he sees her he doesn't want to mold her. I think he wants to understand her. That, uh, like Andy said, you know, that professional part of him from that previous life is genuinely intrigued with her, and he wants to work with her to find out what motivates her, what moves her to do what she does. Knowing that he's like one of the world's most dangerous villains uh, ever, and yet she's still willing to confront him and, and try to work with him. That just really intrigues him, and it shows throughout the movie. This is so funny because <clears throat> once again, for two weeks in a row, I see things so differently from you guys here. Oh, cool. Um, I'm really okay. interested because I see it differently also. Uh, cool. So let's let's do this. Since we're allowed to talk this week, uh, oh, Brooke, let's do this. Go ahead, First podcast. All, I, I need to shut up. I'm going to smack you, boy. All right. Uh, <laughs> I will not take that shit this week. No, really. Um, first, let me just go back to something Andy said right before Marco was talking. You said their relationship was honest. And I vehemently disagree because he manipulated hmm. her into mm -hmm. talking about things from her past that she was clearly uncomfortable talking about. He even said after their first meeting, right as she was about to leave, he's like, I'm going to give you the chance to get what you really want the most advancement. Right. But at a price his price not hers it was not a negotiation she was not allowed input or or anything like that if she wanted information he had to get what he wanted first and that is not honest that's just not honest that that's him manipulating her and i and then margo well, was talking about their relationship i feel like um it it I don't, I, I felt like he was grooming her in a way. Now, now let me explain what I mean by that because mm -hmm. grooming is a term that's being used a lot lately, like more attention is being brought to it. And I think when you hear that word, you automatically think like a sexual relationship, first of all, and you think of like an older person grooming like a teenager or God forbid, even younger than that. And, and that's not exactly what this is. There's different types of grooming. And I felt like what he was trying to do um, he did see her as pure, and I think that's what intrigued him. But he, much the way like Hannibal was trying to manipulate uh, Will last week in Manhunter, I feel like it was it was similar to that. Um, he knew he couldn't put her, push her off the precipice like he could Will in Manhunter, but I think he thought that he could get his hooks into her because he's so arrogant that he he saw it as a challenge. And that's not a pure relationship. That's not an honest relationship. I really feel like he's so arrogant and he's so intelligent that that's a bad combination. And so he saw himself as maybe even like a mentor to her in a sense to catch these guys. And that's not the type of relationship I feel you two are describing. Well, can I counter with just something? Um, sure. 
And I'm only going to counter with this, that isn't that a therapist's job, though, to make you confront the uncomfortable so that you can break... But she through? wasn't his patient. Oh, I know, I know. And, and and you're very, very right about that. But I think the and, and, and that, that was my comment, that when he sees her as a pure person, he's intrigued by her and he wants to get to know her. And I'm not saying that's an honest approach at all. Right. Uh, no, but, Andy's the one who said honest. But it, right. it is a true relationship where he's like actually wanting to connect with this person. No, and I, really yeah, no I don't. I don't think so. Okay. I, I thought totally... halfway. What was that? I, I think a relationship is like halfway, a meeting in the middle, and he was just dominating everything. Yeah, I felt like he was very manipulative, but oh, that's true. I yeah. I felt like her. Her purity, like you, the way that you frame it, Marco, was the thing that he didn't know how to interact with. And I think at the very beginning, when he is trying to fuck with her, and she just looks at him and says, how about you try to be this honest with yourself? How about you try looking at yourself and speaking this way? You see so much, but how about you try reflecting that back on you? I think that she was able to be comfortable even, even when it wasn't comfortable for her, she was fine being exposed. And that is not something that I felt he was used to interacting with or seeing. And it was not something that he was comfortable with within himself. I think that's why he tried to screw with Will from the other one so much was because he was like the part of him that he wanted to see fall. He wanted them both to be evil so that he could see himself better. Um, and her purity, her ability to be exposed in, in all things and in, in comfort and strength and everything um, was very disarming to him. And I think that that became a challenge. I think it's part of why he became so manipulative, but I think it was also uh, because he wasn't able to look at himself in that same way. He had to ultra focus in on her and, and the way that he was interacting with her. Yeah, and Brooke, I, I think your point's really interesting because I was I was thinking about the movie going, if she walks out and Miggs doesn't, I guess, violate her, right, in that regard, mm -hmm. she he doesn't see her again, right? right? She just walks out, he goes back to what he was doing. And, and I think in your context, it makes, that scene makes more sense because in a lot of ways, I think he sees that as that was the ultimate disrespect to someone who is very different from me, right? Like you're saying, and 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 that's just a really interesting scene to me because I I don't know if the movie continues, right? If that doesn't happen, so I think Brooke, to your context, that's why it happens, right? That's why he calls yeah. her back because that's the relationship he needs to foment and understand in himself as well if that makes sense I, I and i don't know what you saw in that scene but i'd, I'd be interested in your take because that was one of the scenes i wrestled with going how does this advance the movie right i think it is this turning point where like i agree if it hadn't happened he she would have walked away and it's a completely different storyline after that but i do feel to Melissa's point of the grooming, agreed, I always felt like it was very groomy, but not in the traditional sense that we talk about it now. Um, 
but there was so much intention and so much that he was taking out of it, out of seeing himself as a mentor, out of seeing himself as the reason why she was going to be successful in these different things um, that really cemented kind of her hooks in him, really, instead of the other way around. Like he needed the gratification of what was happening in the relationship there because otherwise he would have been left with just himself. That's how I saw it. Yeah. I, you two, you two are definitely correct. And I think my choice of the word honest is probably not. <laughs> yeah. You're, yeah. You're, you're more correct. I, I think what I'm, what I was trying to say is he's at least upfront with her to a certain extent that yeah. like, I, I am going to, I want these things and I want you to give me these things. And even though he is at some level being manipulative um, and, and we can see that, you know, I, there's, there is something there that again, it's like, is what, what is Hannibal's ultimate motivation? Does he see himself as her mentor or does he just like does he just miss doing this job of picking people's brains apart or is he trying to manipulate this situation to be able yeah. to escape and, and I, think, I think he misses the job I think, I think he misses yeah go ahead I'm oh I, I was gonna say mark that I, i'm i'm interested because i wondered if it was the means to an end because you know if you watch it from the manipulative lens you can almost see his wheels turning going i can get everything i want out of this person and hey what do you know uh, she'll get what she wants to because Scott Glenn is transparent, right? And I can, I can, I know what he's going to want her to do. And every, both of us win, right? My pawn wins, I win, everybody's happy. But yeah, Mark, I'm interested. What do you think of that, of well, the other eye? I love that you said my pawn wins because that that's what I was about to say that, you know, for him, this is a chess match. Uh, this is him against, uh, 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 what's his name? Scott Glenn. Why am I forgetting Scott Glenn's character? Jack Crawford. And the other um, guy too, Chilton or whatever. Both <laughs> you know, well, Chilton. He, he hates Chilton and he's playing with Chilton the entire time. And he knows what he's going to do with Chilton from the very beginning. He's just savoring it. He's letting things happen, but he knows what the end game is going to be with Chilton. Now with Crawford, because Crawford dismisses him and treats him like an object of curiosity, he's going to fuck with him. And when Clarice first comes around, he's like, all right, right? You moved your pawn. Let's see what we can do here. But when he when he uh, talks to her, he finds something. And I like what, what Brooke said, that maybe he saw something in her that was part of him. And that's what that's what kicked it off. But unlike with Will, and I don't think he, he tried to fuck around with Will. I think with Will, he saw a kindred spirit. And with Will, he wanted to be a mentor uh, because he saw somebody that could be just like him. Clarice can't be just like him, but he's so interested in who this person is that, uh, like Andy said, that part of his life when he used to be a psychiatrist, it comes back and he's genuinely interested while at the same time, he's going to play this fucking game. He's going to beat Jack Crawford. It, this is keeping him so busy and he's loving this. But I think, uh, and, and, uh, you know, at first I agree with Andy when he said it was an honest relationship, but I think I get the better term would be that, it's a transaction that appears to be above board between those two uh, because, because there's a give and take. 
Uh, and and yeah, of course he's manipulating. That's who he is. That's what he does. That's how he's gotten as far as he has. That's how he was able to kill and eat people. He's a fucking master manipulator. But I don't think he's truly manipulating her. He's like really interested in her. But he realizes she is a chess piece, both for him and for Jack Crawford. And in the end, he's going to use a chess piece to get what he eventually wants. But if, like Annie said, if his, if it, or not, like uh, JB said, if his pawn wins something at the end, well, good for good for the pawn as well. So yeah, isn't that where the conflict comes in, though? Is because he starts it off that way. I think that's where the avoidance. I think that's where the attachment comes in. Is that he starts it off that way, but he clearly becomes vested yeah. in the relationship between the two of them, which I believe was unexpected on his part. Because um, everything about her... And I think her... that that's part of his avoidance, right? In avoiding himself, he's attaching more to her. And it it hooks him in this way that he was unexpected. Well, I think, I think that everything about her should make her broken beyond repair, and she's not. So he's done his homework on her. And the, the initial questions he hits her with, he's finding out more about her. And she should be this beyond broken character. And the fact that she's got this strength in her just fascinates him like you're not supposed to be here kind of thing and uh i'm gonna i'm gonna bring another show into this clarice the clarice show i don't know if y'all have seen it but they show this side a lot more of her working out the things that should have broken her uh and i'm i'm so pissed that that show was canceled because they did a good job of exploring that character but i think that's what hannibal Lecter's thing is like how what where does this strength come from like you should not be here. Like now, I, I'm invested in you. I really want to know. I think, I think it's an interesting. The, it, yeah. Oh, sorry, Andy. Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say. I think this entire movie, though, is about the transactional nature of human relationships. Every yeah. single person Agreed. in this Agreed. movie wants something from someone else, yep, yep, and yep, yep. they are taking it. And it's it's about Even how. Makes. Yeah, even <laughs> everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like he sort of just took care of himself, and then he suffered for it in the end. Yeah. He wanted talk about give and take. He was big on t on giving. Yeah, and he wanted his own tongue. So, that but there's good. this there's this continuum of to to what extent are we willing to dehumanize the other person in order to get that thing that we want? And on the one end of the spectrum, you have pure psychopaths like. Uh, like Buffalo Bill and like Hannibal Lecter. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have Clarice Starling. And then in the middle, you've got, you know, Napier and Jack Crawford and, um, or excuse me, Chilton. Uh, uh, Napier is the, is the Murdoch. Murdoch. <laughs> Murdoch. <laughs> but, you know, but every single relationship in this movie is about giving and taking and 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 more importantly about how at every single point of transaction women get screwed yeah that yeah. in everywhere some uh, women are always in danger either someone is trying to take advantage of them manipulate them or murder them and um it, it's you know Demi is just so good at bringing out these relationships and the humanity of everyone that 
it's so weird that you actually see some humanity in these monsters and then realize that oh yeah you know jack crawford is a monster too so you know it's it's really cool to watch this after um manhunter and and red dragon it's because mark to your point you go from the these two battling each other because they're the same type of person mm-hmm. to a movie where everyone is so uniquely distinct and andy i i i would caveat your point with saying i think buffalo bill is the pure psychopath i think everybody else male character wise is a refined psychopath um Mm. in that they are psychopaths in that they have been given power or some kind of you you know ability to exert um a restrained form of psychopathy right like uh hannibal lecter who did everything he did as as a psychologist crawford who does everything as an fbi right there all of these people are swindlers they're all making deals they're all hurting people but they're doing it in the confines of whatever their the establishment allows them to have so that would be my only caveat to pure psychopath is i i think i think hannibal is is the most unique of the psychopaths but i think the movie sets up all of them to be psychopathic and that's where the as you mentioned the 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 characters the woman characters are the kind of the lights that we're supposed that the morality bases around right like my favorite scene in this whole movie is when they're in the car going back from the the funeral home and Jodie Foster goes it matters it matters that you go into another room to talk about something when I'm stuck there with a bunch of yokel male police like don't do that it matters yeah it matters what you say to them. right and it yeah. matters how you treat these because these characters are the ones that are holding up the ethical side of the movie and like you said the whole time it's just misogyny and these refined psychopaths who get to do whatever they want transactionally right okay so i need to ask you all because I'm, I'm listening to the conversation and I feel something totally different when I listen to you guys talk than when I listen to what Melissa says. And so I'm wondering, as you watch this movie, is your overall takeaway for the women, is it like a sense of pity or or sadness because they always just get screwed, like Andy said, like women just get screwed in the end? Is that is that your general takeaway? It's not pity. It's just men are very bad, very evil. Stop. Like, um, man, the Clarice Starlings of the world should be put in charge, not the Jack. That Alfred that phrase world. right there, Andy. Uh, that for me, I like. I didn't pity the female characters. To me, the female characters, especially Clarice, were the fucking smartest. They're the ones who saw things clearly, and if it wasn't for them. You know, the, the movie would have been way different. Uh, the story would have been way different. Um, I mean, there's something to say about. I was just, this- I was just curious because if I like the the sense that I was feeling was like, oh, these poor women. But like when I so I first watched the movie after high school, um, when I was working through a lot of my own stuff, and so when I watched it and I watched her story and I saw someone who should have been broken and damaged and not where she was 
be where she was, that was something that I could relate to. And I felt like she and the other women, yeah, men are assholes and there's a lot of shit going on. And, um, I just, I never had any sense for them other than they were fighters who were forging their own path. And I, I found that really fascinating about the movie. I think the, the premise isn't like, I, I don't think pity is the correct word either. I like, I don't, I don't think there's an emotive component to the discussion of systematically our, our system is set up very poorly. Right. And right. I think, well, I think what this movie does is highlight how the people who should, as Mark said, be making decisions and who should be in charge of things are not, which is a disservice to everyone because they are the ones who, right. Like you said, are the strongest, have the most ethical mindset, right. Treat people the best. And, you know, for me watching the movie again, it was interesting to see where all of those things happen, right? There's so many microaggressions and little things that go against the characters that are the most valuable. Um, yeah, I don't think I don't think pity would be the word. I think it would just be like uh, it's annoying, right? That the systemic variables continue to happen, and yeah. we have movie after movie where it's it's so blatantly obvious. Well, and that's why I was asking. I just wasn't yeah, sure no, if I was feeling something. Like, yeah. I was, I just wasn't, I wanted to understand what your takeaway was for all of you from the entirety of the movie. So, thank you. I, I felt the same way, actually, Brooke. When I, I'm sitting here listening to the three men here talk about these characters in a way that's different from how I feel about them or see them in, not completely, but in a lot of ways. Um, and, and I hear this fascination with Lecter that, and let's face it, um, I mean, he's an interesting character. And in 91, there weren't a lot of characters like him out there. And Anthony Hopkins, despite being only on the screen for 16 minutes, uh, did a bang up job. I mean, he deserved his Oscar, even though I do think he was a little hammy at some points. But he got a little hammy, but you know, that's, I think that's sort of part of Hopkins's thing in certain movies, but, but either way, it was a very effective performance and, and you don't have to look any further to see that in society than to think about um, Hannibal's place in in pop culture uh you know many movies have been made about him the tv show we're going to get into all of those later um and only one with clarice that lasted one season that cbs just moved around the schedule so goddamn shame much. it is because uh like you i thought it was fascinating as fuck not just clarice by the way Catherine martin the girl in the well God we damn. Really, oh my God. God it, damn, that was they awesome. Really got into her post Buffalo Bill, and it was fucking amazing. And um, I thought it was going to be a thankless job having to play Clarice after Jodie Oscar or Jodie uh, Foster won an Oscar for it. But uh, yeah, Rebecca Breeds, I believe that's the actress's name, did a just i mean it was so good down to the accent um it's a shame that but but it only lasted a season it didn't get a lot of buzz people thought it was uh 
too moody or too this or that. A lot of criticisms were very sexist about this movie. I, I read some reviews extraordinarily sexist about this. And so um, I, I, but yet Hannibal Lecter is like vaunted in pop culture. People dress like him for Halloween. People don't dress like Clary Starling, right? It, it, and I guess what I'm trying to say is that he is the one that has left the indelible mark on pop culture and Clarice should have been the one. We should be vaunting her. We should be dressing like her. We should be fascinated by her and we're not. Yeah, because I haven't seen the, the new TV show. So when you're oh. talking about it, I'm, I'm enthralled because it's, you know, again, they, I don't think they, they gave it as good a reviews as they should have based on what you're, what you're talking about. So I'm, I mean, I don't, I don't Clarice is really good. It's psychological good. as fuck. It, it will, it delves into there and it, you know, I came away after just the very first episode thinking that this Clarice was smarter than the Jodie Foster Clarice. Interesting. Nice. Yeah. I think the, the other thing is it was on CBS. Yeah. And they, so. you know what they did is like it premiered, right? And they did like four episodes and then it was off for like five or six weeks. And then they did three episodes and then it was on for off for two or three weeks again. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and they yep. switched it around the day of the week and shit. I mean, they really, it's like they were trying to, to, to fail with this show you know what i'm saying it was i don't think cbs knows how to make a show that isn't called ncis and or is, in, or is filmed in hawaii yeah uh, <laughs> oh oh yeah 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 but i mean was, i think it's good i highly recommend it nice if, okay yeah i i've been meaning to check it out so you even I, even precious is in it so <laughs> <laughs> oh well so, good because that was my question is what yeah, happens to uh, precious Ka afterwards yeah so. Catherine martin still has the dog um but she refuses to like train it or to really do a whole lot with it because she wants to love it and yet it reminds her of him you know what i mean um yeah yeah the, the way her relationship with that dog it, it, is it, it kind of gives us clues into her psyche. Well, and that because she won't go to therapy. Wow. Well, because yeah. that's one of the things that I really like about about this is even even her like the acting job that Brooke Smith does uh, down in the well. She is like she's very vulnerable, but very upset at the same time, and you know. One of the things um, that Emily Vanderwerf uh, says ab about this movie that is one of the reasons why she likes it so much is that every single character in the movie gets to be smart. Mm. And uh, that... Well, that Chilton's includes... not smart. He just thinks he is. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yes. I mean, there's a lot of that throughout the movie. For sure. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think I think it, to to her point, it's it's more about... Even the characters who are marginalized or who are, you know, she's down in a well and robbed of her agency, mm -hmm. but she still gets to be smart. She still gets to, you know, hatch a plan. Um, you know, Melissa, that that point about why do we glorify Lecter's character mm -hmm. is really interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think my thought was, how did we how did the filmmakers mess that up? Right. How? Was it societal? Is it something in the film? I'm, I'm interested in your take on why there wasn't F Jodie Foster's character. Because like Brooke said, she, 
she's a she's great she's strong mm -hmm. she's adorable like everything is working for her but yet we always get this lector thing so uh, i'd love more of your detail on that well i i think it it's mostly society i i feel like jonathan demi did everything he could to really uh i, I wouldn't say he he didn't put clarice on a pedestal exactly but he he really did make us feel like she not only was the the good guy of the movie but that she um deserved any success she got she deserved the chance to do this she caught the bad guy she killed him you know she was smarter than everybody else and it was very obvious that that you know um well outside of Lecter but but Lecter has his blind spots and so you know he's smart but he's you know he's also a psychopath which is the biggest blind spot of all uh but she figured so much out and in society even today oh you know 30 years later we still find the good guys to be boring you know and and the bad guy the villain or the vigilante they're going to always be more interesting generally speaking to people um and, and that's just kind of how it how it is you know um I, i'm not saying it's right in fact i, I don't like it at all um you know, I find being good to be much harder because, like, if you're a villain, basically all you do is take all the impulse control that you've been having in order to keep you good and just let it go, like like Elsa or something, right? You just let it go, and then you're bad. Whereas keeping your impulses in check day after day after day is way harder and way more interesting to be psychologically strong in that sense. But that's not how society sees it, and this is... You, you can see it like like Marco mentioned earlier, Darth Vader. Darth Vader has way more fans than like probably Luke and Leia combined. Yep. You know what I'm saying? That, that That's the perfect example of how people always find the villain more fascinating. And even actors, if you ask them, they'd rather play the villain than the good guy because it's far more interesting and they get to like scenery chew or be hammy like, like uh, Anthony Hopkins and shit. So... Um, I do think it's a societal thing. I, I really do. And the only exception would be if the villain was a female. And then that's the female villains, as rare as, as they are, are never more interesting ever. It, it's just it's like the law or something. And, oh. and I think it's our internalized misogyny as a society that that does this. And, and, and look, you can find Lecter fascinating, but he's nasty. He, he's and not just because he kills either like I, I don't know if y'all realize how fucking gross he was to 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 Clarice sometimes and and which is another reason why when y'all were talking about their relationship it just made me cringe because I see it so differently like on their very first uh meeting when he was dismissing her he was talking about sticky fumblings in the back seat of her car yeah. uh, later on he he asked yes. if uh he later on he asked if um if he thought Crawford wanted her sexually, like if he wanted to fuck her. And then like when she's talking about her dad's death and how she went to the sheep ranch, he asked if the her uncle, the rancher, made her give him blowjobs or if he sodomized her. I mean, he's fucking disgusting, y'all. How can you vaunt him? I don't understand. It's, it's so gross. And yet nobody talks about how nasty he is sexually to her and not just at the beginning even later on after the transactional 
part of their relationship is started and and you start to think that he's like empathizing with her or finding her fascinating well not fascinating enough to stop being a fucking gross pervert to her do you understand what i'm saying like i think this is part of the reason why i see it so differently from you guys because the sexual nasty component of his speech to her the way he talks to her like that it it just sets me off it, it clearly i'm triggered right now right and and the fact that we bought this guy it's so gross it's so gross i i wouldn't say i vaunt him uh i'm just fascinated by how a person well, i was get... talking about society in general not oh, you okay, guys okay. individually yeah because i was like so you want to suck his blood <laughs> but you know i agree with a lot of what you said mel and i think uh the reason why clarice isn't the you know number one character here does have a lot to do with society and the society at the time and this is shown on that show clarice because even after she makes the headlines and she you know she worked through Hannibal's mind games and she caught Buffalo Bill. At the very beginning of the series, she's just treated it this, ah, this one chick who got lucky. Uh, and and that's that's society at work. So you're right about that. But I I think it's just the way Hopkins played Hannibal as that particular villain, it's just so captivating to try to understand how somebody can get that fucked in the head. Like, it's just not possible. And he brings that charm. Uh, and Andy, I'm going to allude to something Andy said earlier. He brings that sense of romanticism to his to his character. Yeah, because asking if she got sexually assaulted as a child is really romantic. No, and I'm not saying romantic. as the, the romanticism to the character itself. And you're, and you're right. But, you know, even in the show Clarice, they do allude to a lot of what he was pulling out from her. Uh, you know the whole father thing, and that she was possibly there. There's some uh, sexual manipulation when she was younger. That's alluded to in the show Clarice. So he was onto something, but I guess his delivery was like extra rough. See, and I pervy. don't think he was onto it. I think he was just being a nasty man who's used to being able to talk to women like that. Oh, he might be a monster. Yeah, yeah. He might be a monster, but he's still a man, no. and they let us know it by having him verbally sexually assaulted I, I like that. I do not doubt that in this in the slightest but that's coupled with his background in psychiatry he's he's going to get some information in the most fucked up ways and you know that that's why and I said at the very beginning I don't understand why I I like that portrayal so much like I've, it's only sixteen <laughs> minutes long. Like it, Clarice was on the whole two hours and twenty minutes, and people still don't respect her the way they. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I hear you. I hear the you. Same, Melissa. It's it's this weird. Like he's so gross. He's so gross. Well, I mean that's I, and that goes. I mean, to what what I was saying that he plays him like a vampire, like Dracula. The whole. Yeah, the the whole metaphor of Dracula is rape, and that's that's why people are scared of Dracula, uh, is because he's going to you know come in and sexually assault you. So yeah, absolutely, and he is taking from Clarice. That's the whole like vampire thing. He is sucking energy, life out of her in order to sustain his old gross self 
Um, so I, I completely agree with you. Like, definitely a monster, definitely, but definitely a man. And that's, you know, again, the I think the subtext of this entire movie is everybody wants to, you know, hurt the women in in this film in one form or another, including Hannibal Lecter. So, yeah, he can also be a mentor, but he's also he's also a monster. <laughs> That's weird. I just, I like, I'm trying to think back through all of this. One, on how quickly I started dating women after seeing this movie. So that's the thing. Um, and then two, I, I know that it's a theme of it, but I never personally viewed him as, like, an actual mentor. It, the whole thing was just so... twisted it 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 just felt i think you hit it on the head melissa it, it just felt too groomed it didn't feel like like with vampires you have to at least invite them in right <laughs> like like part of the lords you have to <laughs> yeah. invite them into the house and with Quid her pro quo. The, this is a, a thing like i don't know it it feels like, it feels so much scarier and grosser than vampires, I guess is what I'm saying. That I never really saw him in that. And maybe it's because I always loved my mentors. I respected them and I wanted them to be a part of my life. And I, I didn't get that kind of mentory feeling out of this relationship. I don't get the mentory feeling either. I don't think he was, he was establishing a mentorship. And there's no way in how Clarice was buying into that shit either. So I don't, I, I really push back against the whole mentor thing. I, I don't think he had any intention of doing that. And Clarice sure as fuck was, had no intention of getting any kind of mentorship, mentorship from him. Um, but yeah, like, I, I love that Andy brought up the quid pro quo. That, that's the invitation that she accepted like a vampire. That, that's that may I come in and you say yes. And then, all right. All this stuff's gonna happen, and he is a thousand years old in this movie. So <laughs> he very well could be. <laughs> it's just funny though that I, I like. I, it's not like y'all are talking about him with love in your voice, exactly. Well, maybe Marco a little, but um, like, <laughs> but it, it feels. I, I, I it, obviously it's love of, killing people. It, it, it <laughs> sort of feels like there's almost this admiration for him. It, it, and and whereas like I'm just like ugh, God he's disgusting you know and look I'm all. not saying I'm not saying that he's not there is a certain fascination there because you're right like there's you know you have to wonder what happened to this person or were they born this way or did something if it was yes, environmental or was it you know the surroundings because you know people like you know are are kind of molded by their surroundings so was it something he was born with or something that he acquired in life that made him this way that that is fascinating from a psychological point of view but that doesn't mean that he is fascinating just the i feel like it's the process is fascinating that got him there but i still think he's disgusting and and that's why i just hate when you know people are you know 
more into him. I, I just wish more people would be into a character more like Clarice. Um, so I, 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 and I don't think going way back to what JB asked originally, um, I don't think it was the movie that did that. The the women that are given, you know, other than the ones in the well or that are already dead, the the women who are alive and trying to capture this guy uh, are given a lot of agency, even as they face abject sexism almost constantly. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it put a spotlight, I felt, that in 1991, let's face it, nobody was putting a spotlight on this, uh, on just how much sexual harassment um, a woman endures in a single day. And, and, and like at the beginning, like, you know, this that guy in the woods who went after Clarice to tell her that Crawford wanted to see her, he checked out her ass and she's wearing, and, and, you know, baggy, sweaty clothes and her hair's all disheveled. And you know what I'm saying? Like, there's nothing that conventionally would have made somebody find her attractive in that moment and yet she still got sexually harassed do you understand so it really showed a spotlight on what women face so i think the movie did what it could now it failed in other ways like the lgbtqia plus community which we, i'm sure we're going to get to in a little while oh yeah um it failed them just horrifically but in terms of women or at least cisgendered women it it really it really tried hard i think to put put the spotlight on them and show that they were just as smart and capable as uh the men or and, more or more so yeah, exactly and you know what and i'm gonna push back a little bit that you know people didn't find clarice as interesting there's a reason why the hannibal the movie failed and it's because jordy foster wasn't in it and Julianne Moore, who's a more than capable actor, she's super fantastic, did not bring the same emotional impact to that character that Jodie Foster did. And because you didn't have that, because you didn't have that Clarice Starling, the movie failed. Well, and the script sucked. Yeah, well, I was the, the, say, the script failed and a lot of other things. But the, 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 the main thing is that Clarice wasn't the same. And that's why that movie failed. But then why did it take till 2021 for her to get a show about her? And we've had how many iterations of Hannibal since then? Oh, I know. No, I, 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 get, I get what you're saying. Mm -hmm. But but to say that, oh, people just didn't find her interesting. Like, no, that's, not what I, that's not what I said. I said I wish people, as many people, found her fascinating. And, and I and I think people did, though. And, and I think proof in but that is that much Hannibal failed. Quantities. Yeah, but yeah, okay, uh, I'll, I'll take that. But part of the reason is that, and, and you explained it, it's that Hannibal's this kind of character like, why are you this fucked up? Like, I have to know why you're this fucked up. Like, what happened to get you this fucked up? And then we have a movie that gives us the background, which makes things even worse, because the finding, the way they wrote the origins as to why he's fucked up was just so stupid. Are we going to be forced to watch that? Yes, yes we are. But uh, I, I challenge, though, <laughs> that that's still kind of the... The point there, right, is that people could have said just as easily, why isn't Clarice so fucked up? Why is she... Like, the, the point that JB started making at the very beginning of, this woman has no business being here. And why isn't that as fascinating that she was stronger than it and more determined than it than it is to watch him be so fucked up? Well, the answer can be found in Luke Skywalker. Because Luke Skywalker should be the better character than, than Darth Vader. 
because I mean, you never even got to know his father and mother. His his adopted parents were burned to a crisp, and yet he ended up saving the galaxy. He should be the guy everybody loves, but who can't we get enough of? Darth fucking Vader. Oh, I thought you were gonna say Han Solo. No, I thought you were gonna say Princess Leia. But, but I mean, right? it, like, it, it, it's just, and it's but not so much. People do it, have a fascination with him in a way that I don't feel that they do with Clarice. I think that there's there's yeah, some legitimacy and, to the fact that she's a woman. She, the way that her character is being seen isn't even though she has all the screen time and the plot development and like, I just I think that there is. A lot of validity to what Melissa is saying in that it could have been either way, but as a society, we chose Hannibal Lecter, and that's saying a lot. I mean, I, I, I very much can. Uh, so y'all's points are very valid, but I don't think it's simply a because she's a woman, we're not going to care about her. I really do think that it's the Darth Vader Luke Skywalker dynamic where yeah he's good he's supposed to be good he's supposed to save the day that yeah we all we all know he's good you know but this guy the Darth Vader guy with the cape and killing everything like what makes this guy tick and you know even in the Christian uh, tradition yeah we, they spend a lot of time talking about Jesus but god damn they spend a lot of time talking about the devil and all the things he can do and how <laughs> uh, how hell the hell is so much more descriptive than heaven and I think that is the, the human condition that we're more fascinated by how bad things can be than how good things will be because we take we take it for granted that the good is always going to be there and I think that's what is the problem with these two characters of course Jodie Farce's character Clarice Starling is going to win the day because she's the good we expect the good to win all the time but there's this fucked up character that we know is going to end up losing uh, what makes this fucked up character tick you know what why is and why are we so fascinated with Satan all the time? It's because we don't know the answers to what makes these people, these things, the way they are. I I, I agree with that, Marco. But but you said you don't think it's uh, like a um the like a female thing or whatever. But remember, I don't think it's totally. nineteen. It's nineteen ninety one. Right. And agreed. You agreed. know, you got to remember yeah. the time and place. Yeah, misogy um, misogyny is alive and well, and I'm not going to yeah. deny that. And I'd be stupid yeah. to do that. So of course that's going to be a factor. But overall, like overall, like she's the good character. We know she's going to win the day, and, she, and and that's what we expect of her. And it's kind of shitty that we take that for granted because she's got a great character arc. Like, fantastic. I've always loved Clarice Starling, which is why I had such high hopes for the series. And they, and boy, did they deliver. And I'm so fucking annoyed that we only got one season because she's a great character. Yeah. But in the know. end, she's supposed to win. She's Luke Skywalker. They're supposed to win. Like, what we really want to know, I'm having a hard time to talk because my fucking braces. But anyway, <laughs> what we really want to know is well, why are these other people so fucked up? Like, how did they get that way? And sometimes we dive into that and we get so disappointed to find out why they're the way they are. Prequel haters. Yeah, you're disappointed that they're not more fucked or something, I guess. Like, I guess we, we build up the fuck upness to a certain level to where, where when, when we don't get to it, it's really disappointing. See, and well, that's fucked up. <laughs> that's I know, I know it is. And I, I don't know why the human mind works that way sometimes. I want to argue with you on on sure. something though that you said that I you probably think of as a minor point that like oh well of course 
Clarice Starling is going to win. I think the beauty of this movie is she is in real danger. And I'll tell you what, yes, I didn't yes. I didn't see this movie uh, until I was a little older. It's probably 18 the first time I saw it. I knew the story, um, but the first time I saw it, that scene with the night vision and everything, I'm like, she is going to die. Oh, that's so funny. She... I thought it was so campy. I love really no way something's wrong with you JB I love that you were I mean I love that you were generally freaked out by it though because I was just thinking oh this is like doom well no because it uh, it, I think because it had successfully built on 20 Mm -hmm. minutes of emotionality as it ratchets this up you know starting with um uh with Brooke Smith getting precious down in the well and it's like, oh my gosh! Then everything in that is completely upsetting. And once you realize, especially that Jack Crawford's at the wrong house, and that Clarice is at the right house, and you're like, oh my god! Here's this guy. He's going to murder Clarice. Like that was that was my first take on this movie, and it's why I. I find this truly so frightening. I find this movie frightening in a way that I don't find most other movies frightening because it feels all too real. And um, I felt an intense sense of danger for her. And I didn't think, you know, oh yeah, there's going to be a happy ending here. I'm like, well, Hannibal obviously got away, so maybe everybody dies and that's the end of this movie? Like, I I don't know. So, I, I mean, that was that was my uh my first viewing experience of this and it's never yeah. it's never really That's left really me. cool, Andy, cuz I I never would have like again, I mean, it was it was definitely well done. I love the juxtaposition of the two different scenes. But yeah, I I kind of had the same vibe of I just always felt that I mean Ted Levine dies in every movie so I <laughs> kind of the Sean Bean thing for me where I was worried I'm like oh he always they always lose yeah. um, but. I, I think I experienced it differently where I felt the tension and I was so scared for her but my whole mindset was how the fuck is she going to get out of this uh, I always knew there was going to be a way out and I was so desperate to find that way out that that you know I was it, I bought into it and I was scared for her, but I always knew there there had to there just has to be a way out, you know. Like let's reference James Bond when uh, when Daniel Craig was uh, tied up to that chair and he's getting his scrotum knocked. You're like you don't think oh he's gonna die, you know his his balls are gonna explode he's gonna die. No, like no he's the good guy, he's gonna get out of this. But how? Like how is he gonna get out of this? I felt the same way with with Clarice starting like. Yeah, she's in a shitty situation. This is scary as fuck. It's going to be very, very close. She's going to escape, but how? How is this going to happen? And my heart was beating a thousand miles an hour. Yeah, I didn't experience that. I really thought she might die. Yeah. I never thought she was going to die. Yeah. I, I never. Yeah. yeah. I was with you. 
Hmm. I just I just felt like the the threat. I mean, it's a movie, so I I realized that her character was too important to the plot, so I didn't think she would die because of that. But my sense of safety and watching her. And I think now every time I see night vision in a movie, I'm freaked the fuck out because of it. But I genuinely was like, there's no safety here. Yeah. And that's really terrifying. So I, I felt as though she, she was in real danger and I had never seen this movie before. I didn't know where it was going to go. It could have gone anywhere. Well, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Then. <laughs> no. For for me, when I was watching, I think the main thing I felt was discomfort. And I think a lot of it was not because I, I never thought she'd die. But I was worried that maybe Hannibal would get his hooks into her and, and manipulate her just enough to where she might finally break. Because, I mean, all those things happened to her that we found out about. And you're like, oh, my God. If she's not in therapy, then, you know, she's that's the danger I was worried about was psychological danger. But also it was the way the camera worked to make you feel like you were being stared at by these men. Like yes, uh, exactly. it felt ex this whole movie was very much about the male gaze on mm -hmm. all the different women in different ways oh and goodness. how and how destructive that can be for women that men don't even, and i don't think men even realize they're doing it half the time which is really sad but the point of view of the camera the way it, it, the faces like filled the screen and were just staring at you and the way they really focused on eyes and gazes i mean literally the male gazing at you um that's creepy that is creepy as yeah. fuck. When she was running with her friend and that group of guys runs past her, then you're just left with them staring at you, but knowing that they're checking her out. That scene has always stayed with me. Yeah. The And I think the maybe the most classic and most effective shot of the entire film is Clarice and Hannibal talking to each other and Anthony, you you zoomed in on Jodie Foster's face, and then Anthony Hopkins leans in, and you see his reflection show up in there, and the yeah, way that he great. is staring right through her, it is terrifying. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it, yeah, it's it's great and truly effective and disturbing. It's funny because last week we were talking about how the director used all the blue and the green and I was saying how it got old after a while, but I think that he thinks that's his calling card. I feel like this is Jonathan Demme's calling card, like just filling the screen and using a point of view that honestly, I don't remember being used very much before this movie. Um, you know, I, it, I mean, I, I could be very wrong about that. But, no, it's one of the yeah. reasons why this movie was so acclaimed. He's, you know, he he did such an amazing job on this. Super effective. I love. Yeah. I um, yeah. I think it's probably campier now because of some of that, like the the goofy. Oh, it's right in his face kind of thing. But I think back then, 
it was pre- it was pretty new, Andy. I mean, I don't remember movies before this really doing that. You know, the the eyes kind of thing is the focal point, like you said, Melissa. I don't remember a lot of gaze focused center shot movies very often. Yeah, I mean, Demi Demi had done you know several films before this, but uh, none that um, really you know went. Uh, you know, when as big as this, uh, and, and certainly none as, as stylized, um, you know, uh, you know, he'd made some, he'd made a lot of music videos. He, he made an entire film for the talking heads. So, uh, and while there had been, you know, some, uh, stylization, you know, you watch married to the mob and it's not like, Oh, let's do a bunch of cool camera angles on Michelle Pfeiffer. It's it's like, okay, no, there are some close-ups, and he's very like. I think what what is effective about Demi is he's able to capture the emotion of his actors very well. Um, the the way he decides to place the camera around them, and um, you know, I think that this. Sp- starts that here um and you can see it even more as as you go into later demi but um this really kicks it off into into high gear Um, but yeah i i think it's i think it's just it's one of the better directed uh films of the last 30 years i mean there are there are movies that have won the best director award where i'm like "Eh." (laughs) uh this is not one of them Shakespeare in love. Yeah. Oh, yeah. shut the hell up. Where's really the movie ever? Like I love that movie. I like it's it a, too. It's like an it. okay movie. I, I don't think it's as amazingly directed as this, but. No. Uh, anyway. Not in comparison, no. Not even close. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So, so let's, let's talk about Buffalo Bill for a minute and how problematic that is. Uh, I think we've got to do that before we before we finish this out. Um, yeah. Well, let's talk about which one of us three has done the dance. Just kidding. <sighs> I know, dude. I just kidding. <laughs> we all know it's JB. It's I love Andy's disappointing. Like we went an like hour without one, going there. <laughs> yeah, you're like the God. one kid in the podcast today. Like, oh god, him. <laughs> I can I can feel Andy wearing his dad jeans right now, just like with his hands on his hips, you know, looking at Marco. You're just... like you again, Jesus Christ! I will turn this podcast around. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. But I mean, that's the weird, like, cultural legacy of Buffalo Bill, and I, I think part of what made this what makes this movie problematic is that um, I don't know what's, what's the best way to put this. The, the way that it, um, it turns sort of uh, being trans or queer uh, conflating it with being, you know, Buffalo bill, a serial killer. Um, um, even though the movie like goes out of its way to say like, oh, well, transsexuals are very docile. They're not, you know, uh, first of all, I have known some very not docile trans people 
trans people come in every, um, you know, uh, every emotional flavor. Every variety oh, like the rest of us? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. amazing. They're people just like the rest of us. Yeah. Weird. Um, weird, right? Anyway. Um, but even then, you know, this this movie does have that trope of the you know the the trans killer and that is uh that's a problem so i don't know i don't know man i i feel that buffalo bill is this one character and he doesn't represent the trans population of this country or trans in general sure I think it's just this one character. I kind of have a problem with when folks go that route. Um, like, you, there's this argument. What, what was it about? Uh, oh, um, one of the Dan Brown movies that has uh, the Da Vinci Code that has an albino, uh, and that albino is an assassin played by Paul B uh, Bettany. Mm -hmm. And everybody was up in arms, and they're like, yeah, of course. That's the only way albinos get represented. You know, they're assassins. Uh, there's something wrong with them. And I I understood that argument. And I was like, okay, yeah, I can feel that. But at the same time, I'm like, it's just a character. I don't know. How, I'm saying a lot of words to say, I don't know how I feel about this. I really don't. I, I can totally understand. Uh, some trans folks are like, this is very offensive to me. Um, but like you said, and and uh, Brooke echoed in, there's all sorts of trans people, just like there's all sorts of gay people. There's all sorts of bi people. Some of them are going to be really good. Some of them are going to be bad. Some of them are going to be a little in between. And, you know, we're, we're in the end, we're just people. We have different capabilities. Some of us, are, you know, have the capability of being very good people. Some of us have the capability of being very bad people. And I think this one character here who happens to be trans mm. or trans or or, or or trans obsessed this is, this is or, the yeah. worst religious yeah. ethics lecture i've ever <laughs> or, or this one particular person who's who's uh trans obsessed or, or whatever like it's just the character and i don't think it represents the whole of anything but 30 years ago he was the only one Right. And so that's the impression people got of him. I understand where you're coming from, Marco, but 30 years ago, most of America had didn't even know what trans was. And so when you have maybe the only one in pop culture and he's a fucking serial killer, like that's bad. That's really bad. And, and that's the disservice that this movie does to the community is it, because it, and because we've already talked at length about the hope this movie still has 30 years later on pop culture, particularly Hannibal, but also that scene, the dance scene, let's face it. I mean, I said last, last week, how I have a friend who used to do that shit and, and he's not the only one. He's just the only one I actually saw do it live, you yeah. know, but like, it, this happens a lot still and 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 it's it spans all the generations uh, there's a lot of even gen z people who know this movie who've seen it or at least heard of it and so i just it, i understand what you're saying and maybe you can make that argument today since there's a lot more trans representation in film and television but back then buffalo bill was it and it it was terrible 
I hear well, you. I feel like you're kind of making each other's points, right? It shouldn't be this way. You're absolutely right, Marco. It shouldn't be this way. But unfortunately, it is. And it should be... This is a character, and this character is independent to itself. But unfortunately, it has become representative of a whole, and it's something that just keeps holding on. And it's it's unfortunate, and it's wrong. Well, and that's yeah. the and as society, that's... we should be better, but we're not. And well, so and then, we'd probably yeah. all get fucked with by Hannibal Lecter. Well, but I mean, that's your point exactly, Brooke. And we always talk about that, the power of the visual, right? Movies have that power. Um, and, and in some cases, I think like we're talking about here, it's taken a little too lightly, right? Like, uh, I, and it, I, a lot of it, I, I imagine, goes back to the source material with, with even the writing. Right, because um, this is derived from th this was its own independent book, right, Andy? It wasn't the screenplay wasn't pulled from right, right, sort of, right. Yeah, so yeah. so we have an even more problematic stance where um, you know the written word had it like this, um, and then it was brought forward into the um, you know the movie. So um, yeah, I. I maybe it's that writers just don't expect that they're going to be that popular I, I mean he had already done red dragon so there was something in it I, you know it would be interesting andy did the article that you sent us did it have any backstory um by chance of of where the character came from or no i mean i think it's you know it's but it's a useful allegory right i mean it's like oh well um he wants to Okay, well, let me let me unpack this even more. The, the character of Buffalo Bill is based in many ways a, a sort of an amalgam of Ed Gein and Ted Bundy. Right. And Gein was like dug up women's corpses and made suits out of their skin, uh, and also murdered women and and did that as well. But um, you know, and. And this was like, oh, well, he's trying to become something else. Oh, well, the sort of allegory for that must be that, you know, he must be or he must think that he's trans and um, that he wants to be not his own gender. Uh, again, this is this is why I highly recommend going and listening to uh, the the blank check episode with Emily Vanderwerf. Uh, from Vox, who is a brilliant entertainment writer, but uh, also is trans, and this is her favorite movie, and um, talks about you know her own experience of you know feeling uncomfortable in your own skin and what that is like, and um, how that is in fact very different. Uh, in her mind from you know the impetus to like oh I'm gonna murder women and make a skin suit out of them or whatever um, but uh, you know it was just something they sort of glommed on to as like oh well that that seems convenient um, I mean at this time uh, being gay was still part of the the DSM as a mental disorder mm -hmm. you know that was that was part of how it was seen. And, uh, you know, this movie did not 
help that to Jonathan Demi's credit, uh, you know, when a lot of people spoke out about this and said, hey, this is really poor representation here. He felt so bad about that when the studios all start writing him, you know, blank checks to like say, okay, well, what do you want your next project to be? He says, I want to make a story about about people suffering from AIDS. And then he went and made Philadelphia. So I, I think that is, um, you know, again, to, to Demi's credit, he this was a blind spot. And he took that and said, I didn't mean to cause harm, but I understand the, like, the power and influence that I have here. Let me try to make it right by doing something else. And I think that is that is admirable. It doesn't erase the the harm here, but it is at least something. I I agree, Andy, and it makes me angry. And I and I criticize this movie for you know being a bad representation of what trans means and being the only one. It was you know it, they should have taken better care with that. But when people want to like denounce the movie or ban the movie or still like basically spit on Demi's grave for this. Like they, they, there's people who villainize him for this to this day. Um, you know, I think we need to be careful with that because we need to see this in context with, you know, the times, which this was accepted, you know, like nobody except people in the community and their allies really blinked about this, I think. Um, and it, it, you know, not till like later when it came up again, but you know, it, I, I do think he tried to atone for this, not realizing his mistake. And I think if we don't give people the room to atone and we can't forgive, then what is what are you screaming about? I mean, if you do you want the change and when the change happens, you're still mad or what? Like you can't have it both ways, I think. Right. And, and I see that happening a lot with the criticism of this movie, even to this day. I love that take. That is awesome, Great. Melissa. I, I I can't even follow up with that. That that was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and wow, to... what am I gonna do now? I'm not used to getting <laughs> so many <laughs> favorite quotes. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, with that. Made 150. <laughs> no, I mean, but I think that that is the right way to end this, and we can talk about the I agree. the box office on this real quick. Um, because yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. Um. So, this movie. Thank you, Melissa. Yeah. Yes. Uh, this movie made. That was great. I already thanked you. <laughs> this movie made a lot of money. $130 million in 1991, which is $284 million. It made another 145 overseas. So, that's like uh, inflation adjusted. That's like five, six hundred million dollars. Oh, so this was a big hit uh, and then it swept the Oscars which uh, this this is interesting this movie came out on Valentine's Day 1991 <laughs> um, not you know not normally when Oscar movies come out and this movie just sort of stuck around all year long and you know they made an Oscar play and it worked out. Um, so that was a, 
kind of the the same deal as what what get out did um you know 30 years later like movie early on in the year does really well in the box office and uh then then manages to still do well in the awards um studio notes i think we've talked about some of the ideas for how we change this movie yeah. what what do y'all think i would make sure that everyone watches rambo first blood part two <laughs> they go into this movie so all my murdoch jokes work but i'm not gonna I'm not gonna belabor that point anymore i'll i'll, sorry, I'll find it some time to i don't know the murdoch jokes two. either sorry. sorry i did not know you had not seen it i feel like a terrible friend and i will sit down and watch that's the most yeah, tragic rambo. thing about this movie that we found out andy has not seen rambo part two and that's just there's the, the world isn't right. It shattered my nope. confidence in, in it, it, the all world that. is not right. I tell you. So soon to be joining us for uh, a Rambo first blood part two watch party. Um, so Mandy can now get all the murder. Um, okay. I mean, I, I think it's like you said, Melissa's point. Uh, I think some of the points Brooke that you made earlier, I, I mean, only the, some of them. <laughs> there, were, there were a few that I was like, oh, uh, all the other parts we tolerated. I like the religious ethics professor would have not liked that one as much. But, um, I, no, it, it's just every thematic point that you talk about is what you would want this movie to do differently. You know what I mean? I mean, there's there's some little nuances, but I I think all of you hit those points where I went. You know, why is this character the way he is? How do these things happen? I still don't know how he overpowers a, a guy when he's 55 years old, but I digress. I, I, I really appreciate it. Core strength. Yeah, because <laughs> all those all those chin-ups. Yeah, you don't know. Yoga. He's got like yoga. a solid eight-pack under that shirt. <laughs> he's all doing yoga. From his raw know. lamb. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I really, this was, this was really interesting um, for what you all got out of this movie. So my studio notes are, sorry, it's Hannibal next week. <laughs> Hannibal the movie. Sorry, Melissa. My bad. Yep. Uh, I wanted more Casey Lemons. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She was. Yeah. I mean, I, there's like, there's the elements of this movie that like, we really need to like, figure out a way to fix the problematic elements of Buffalo Bill. I think even if you do that, then this is like fundamentally a very different movie. And I don't know if you can, I don't know how to do that. Um, but, um, you need to watch like, Clarice. Okay. Okay. Because you get, you get a lot more and it's so worth it. Okay. Then right after then, you watch Rambo first blood part two, you can watch Clarice. <laughs> okay. 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 Now that Ted Lasso is almost over. That's right. <laughs> um, okay. And you have to watch Shang-Chi two more times. Rambo, Rambo cannot be that good. Oh my Rambo gosh. is fucking terrible. It, it, that's why it's so good. It's okay. so bad, it's good. Yeah. Okay. No, no, yeah, it's so, just bad. So it's the first bad. one, the first one was, was really good for a good reason. The second one is like, remember all the stuff we did in the first one that made it a good movie? Let's forget about all of that. Well, let's do something different. Let's go to Afghanistan for whatever reason. Never has a franchise so quickly forgotten what its basic premise was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
I've so I've never had any interest in seeing any of the other Rambo movies after First Blood. So that's fair. anyway. That's fair. Anyway, you have to watch this one just for the Mur- Murdoch, just because it's great. Comedy okay. you. <laughs> any any other any other studio notes? Things we might. I I know. put diversity in general. Yeah. There, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, so many of the characters are white, even the kind of side characters. It, you know, I, I again, I know it's thirty years ago, but even then, you could have had more than just like the one guard. And then her, her, uh, and Cassie Lemons. I mean, you could, you know, it could have yeah. been more than just those two. Those are the only two black people who really had much of a speaking part at all, you know? Um, so yeah, it's a little diversity would have been nice. Um, and then we, we talked about like, you know, Buffalo Bill and how there are the problematic elements to that. Um, and then <laughs> we talked about this earlier, just like, how the hell did he get the guard's body up there all angels splayed out you know we don't have to get into that again but that was actually a studio note i had like what the hell seriously um but other than that you know i mean this is just it, it this is still a good movie even with all the criticisms i really enjoyed it even though it made me uncomfortable the first couple of times i saw it um i don't really have a lot else to say oh but i do love the score too Oh, the score, yeah, the score is really good. Yeah, I would say add Michael Pena to aggravate JB because he doesn't like him. Michael what? Michael Pena. Oh. Because JB yeah. JB doesn't think he's funny. Never mind. This that was that was pre-podcast. <laughs> Never mind. I'm still that's aggravated. A, that's, about an that. inside, that's an inside. That's an joke, inside y'all. joke, y'all. It's funny. We we promise. Yeah, it is. Anyway. Uh, any anything else? I think this movie's okay. great. Are we doing one-liners? Yeah, favorite lines. Can we say it? Go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do Go it. Ahead. I can smell your cunt. Ooh. Okay. I remember that line specifically because I didn't know what those words meant back then. Oh, really? And I watched it and I was like, huh. And I was talking with one of my friends who also went to high school with us. She was actually in your guys' class. She's... Um, she's one of my best friends. Her daughter is here having a sleepover right now, but I didn't meet her until a couple years ago. But she had the same experience. She said she watched the movie and then went and looked the word up over lunch because she like didn't know what it meant. And she was like, "Oh," and the word has never really held like a lot of contention or like doesn't have that bite to her because she says it so matter-of-factly, and it's just part of the dialogue. That, that line just really stuck, stuck out. Yeah. There's just so much in this movie that's quotable. I mean, the obvious one is a census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice... Is it a bottle or a glass? A nice Chianti. Chianti. A nice Chianti. So that, you, of course... Did you do that shit as Ricardo Montalban? What the hell was I, that? I did. You racist. <laughs> that, that was terrible. <laughs> Wow. Not Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> if I could pull it off doing a podcast, is the last sell thing me any of your Corinthian leather when you're <laughs> <laughs> Corinthian leather. Uh, that and uh, uh, oh, uh, when Jack Crawford says, trust me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter in your head, uh, giving us uh, a foreshadowing of what's going to happen. Uh-huh. 
Okay. That was pretty cool. I mean, there's just so much in this movie that you can quote. What's yeah. the What's the line with the? My favorite one is the. Oh, he's talking about. I'm gonna find it, but um, it's basically the religious allegory between. Um, is it thorns or something? Oh, thorns. You should edit this out. Uh, he's going to. I'll find the quote and read it. But there was. It was one of the little known ones. Um, it was really, really good, but I'll find it. Um, I like Mark, all of yours. I think, I think uh, Jodie Foster's. She's got some great lines about how everything is. I mean, it is. It's that male gaze stuff, and there's so many quotes about um, how the system is just so broken when it comes to that. It's really. I wish the book had done more on that, honestly. Um, whoever this Ted Talley is that wrote the screenplay, minus points from me. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, Ted Talley. Ha! Ha ha ha. Ted Talley, who also wrote All the Pretty Horses and oh, really? Mission to Mars. Um, Anyway, Shrek the Third. <laughs> Gosh. They're all similar. They're all similar. He was also in the. He was the SWAT. Te- he was one of the SWAT team members in the film. So, hmm. oh, there you go. You're welcome. Um. Okay. Um. Best side character. Cassie Lemon. Yeah. Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> I mean, technically, yeah. Yeah. Even though he won lead actor for this 16 minutes, y'all, that was it. Yeah, I mean, although, I mean, he's he has a presence in the movie. Like, yeah, they talk about him a lot when he's not on screen. So, And it's like, yeah. okay, he's not, he's not on screen, but, like, the whole thing where he's doing the escape or whatever, like... Yeah, Anthony Hopkins isn't on screen for that, but like his presence is known. It is it's interesting like, when he is on screen, he's the whole screen. Yeah. Almost mm, always. Yeah. And so right. his presence yeah. feels so much bigger. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, the best sidekick, oh, the sidekick, side character, <laughs> even though he has a sizable role uh, in the whole series, is uh, Dr. Chilton. <laughs> Thank you. No, Dr. Dr. Chilton. Chilton. Yeah, I think he's a, and I hate him. Really? I hate his character. Uh, I can't too. stand him. But I mean, he's essential to the story. Chilton's the worst. He is he's, the worst. I mean, you don't have a movie without Migs. Well, they're all. <laughs> there's also the Migs. movie. The movie just ends if Migs isn't involved. I also didn't know what that was when I watched the movie the first time. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. wow! How did everybody get that? It's like every oh. teenage boy was like, ah, I don't know. Uh, if I had that aim. I like thought I had sneezed or something legitimately. Oh my god! That, again, why this Sweet movie like child. horrified me? I know. I like how that just kind of. Oh well, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, Brooke. Um, Sorry. Sorry guys. Anyway, so not. I'm. Uh, I mean, Murdoch was my favorite, um, along with the guy who he somehow hung from the jail cell with the sheets, I guess? Is that yeah, how he hung think, the guy? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think those are wearing sheets. Those are pretty strong sheets. I'm not sure. Um, 
you should be given a serial killer if she's that strong. Yeah, it's a high thread count. You yeah. got it. They're going to take care of uh, right it's there. The, it's the Egyptian 400. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Now, if you're going to go out, go softly. Yeah. <laughs> go, with, go with extra thread count. That's so funny, Andy. Best... <laughs> I'm going to have thread count in my head the whole time. <laughs> my God, best song. Uh, best song still in Agata Davida, still playing. Yes. <laughs> it's still playing right now. Uh, no, there's a couple big, uh, big songs in here. What? American Girl. American yeah. Girl yeah. is my favorite. This movie ruined that song for me for a couple of years. <laughs> I, I love that song so much. And then I'm just like, oh, now I can't. I can't watch this movie without thinking of uh, Buffalo Bill. Um, no one, no one wants goodbye horses. No one's gonna. I actually did no. goodbye horses. Mm, yeah. No. Uh. By the way, Andy, I found the quote, and it's okay. It's not in the movie. It's from the book, but I. It's cheating. I object. <laughs> so his his line is: "I collect church collapses recreationally." Did you see the recent one in Sicily? It was marvelous. The facade fell on 65 grandmothers at a special mass. Was that evil? If so, who did it? If he's up there, he just loves it, Officer Starling. Typhoid and swans all come from the same place. See, and that's mm. that's the lector from the book that I think adds that extra dimension of how absolutely, like you said, Mark, creepy as yeah. shit this guy is, right? But with reason, you know, this. this yeah, he's weird... calling out God. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I saw that quote and I went, Typhoid and Swans, uh, the, the famous opening band for Newfound Glory in 1996. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is this a good movie? It's a great yeah. movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the best movies we've talked about on the podcast. Um, sorry, Blade 3. <laughs> sorry, Blade 3. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, is is the main character a good person? I'm going to interpret that as Clarice Starling. Clarice. And say okay, yes. I was going to say, yeah. yes, is, she is. The, is she the only good person? Good person. Uh, Out of the okay, main so characters, I kind of I kind of wanted to talk about that, guys. Because yeah. okay, so we agree that Jack Crawford is. Just a monster, a right? Bastard, yeah. yeah. He's a bastard, but do the ends justify the means? He's trying to keep people safe. He's trying to hunt down call people. Him the next James Bond. Yeah, well, yeah, it's it's the whole James Bond thing. Like he's trying to keep people safe, trying to hunt down people who are just pure evil. If you have to do things where the ends justify the means, does that make you just as bad? Even though your whole purpose is to protect people it's hard for me to say only because i i it's hard to put him in a vacuum and judge him on his own because i've seen hannibal the tv show and that jack crawford is a son of a bitch yep, he's and a he yeah and he puts will in danger and he knows he's breaking will and he keeps sending him out anyway yeah, yeah. and so I try not to judge this Jack Crawford against that one, but compared to that one, this one's a good guy. You know what I mean? Because he doesn't do anything even remotely that bad. But that, but if I try to judge him on his own merits, um, 
he's still not that bad. He's a bastard, but he's a bastard working on the good side, sort of like a hacker who works for the government in a way. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, they're still doing you. something wrong, but they're trying to do it for the right reason. So it's right. hard. It's very yeah. it's a gray area, I think. He's just there to help Ramius defect. He's even got the same glasses he used <laughs> in that movie. I was like, did nice they not one, even Jamie. change his, his outfit? Like, this is the same. Barely. Those glasses. Movie yeah. props are expensive, JV. So, I mean, the, this goes back to my, you know, that every male character exists on this continuum of how they are using other people to get what they want and especially women and this jack crawford exists on that continuum no he is not as bad as buffalo bill but he still sees clarice as you know someone he can use and yeah, you know you know to go yeah to go back to the chess piece thing she he thinks of her as his pawn and hannibal thinks of her as his pawn as well um, they're both using her for their own ends, and that is wrong. Um, but are they on the quote-unquote good side? Yes, but they're still using people, and and that is uh, morally dubious. So, I, you know, I get what you're saying, but I think about the generals who are out there making sure we're all kept safe. Have to make you want me on that wall. You want yeah. me on that oh, wall. Yeah, exactly. We did the same thing with all the Bonds, right, Mark? I mean, right? yeah, yeah. Bond movie, we're like, I don't know, is he good in the sense that he's doing horrible things in the name of protecting people? Or, I mean, other than taking the iceberg submarine, that wasn't really useful. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's the same. It feels like the same conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bond is that necessary bad. Um, and, you know, is Jack Crawford that necessary bad? Because without him, we have serial killers running loose. Uh, yeah, but I women. would argue that you could have done Crawford's job in a different way and still been effective. For sure. John's yes, job, is. you don't have quite as much leeway. That's a good point. Yep. You don't have to, to rape everyone. That could be taken off the table, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But there are certain things that to, to be do lethal. his job, he has to. And right. I think that Crawford was taking much more liberties just because he's a fucking douche because he can yeah. yeah he's an old man because he, he goes unchecked yeah. yeah yeah exactly should you show this movie to children <laughs> i chose not to uh i'm a bad parent uh my kid saw this with me wow. how old Wait, is what she? age are we doing yeah what age are we doing she's are 13 Right. Are we doing uh, vaccinated age or unvaccinated? <laughs> we're in <an> <laughs> that's how we tell yeah. Yeah, what age are we talking? I'm, I'm vaccinated up. I, I don't think 13 is a, necessarily a bad age. It depends on the kids. Some kids are more mature Definitely. and smarter and able to handle things at younger ages than others. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I I mean, his daughter seems really smart, so I would think she could handle it. And she's got him there she gets to from. help her. Not you. Not um, me at all. <laughs> that girl's already way more mature than I've ever been. Um but so it depends on the kid. I don't have kids. I'm the only one here who doesn't have kids. Um, I don't think I'd show it until like maybe they were eighth grade or older. I think, uh, I mean, I was, I think I was like a freshman or maybe no, probably a sophomore when I saw this and, you know, 
it's fine. It, yeah. Especially, I will today. say I had to choose. Like, there was part of me that was like, I might consider this one, but I still should because she's she's ten, much younger. She's much younger, but too, they're gonna be too bored. That's the problem with. All these movies we're watching that we appreciate, ten-year-olds aren't going to sit through this. Right. Yeah. And I want her to watch it and enjoy it. At, yeah. At, at, like gain from it, not enjoy you it. Had, you I don't had want to her to be Marco. I think the third. I'm with now. you, Melissa. I think the 14, 13, 14 and up would would be able to. Sit as long as it. you take away their phone, that's yeah. the problem with kids today. Is that they have all these screens to watch, and there's so many distractions that we didn't have when we were their age you know they're watching they're watching stuff on youtube that's worse than some yeah stuff oh there. yeah oh, well sure. i mean my my kid loved this movie so much that we immediately jumped into hannibal the show which oh. is worse which yeah. is worse than the movie it's far more graphic we're gonna get yeah, like it, it sucks because like i committed to it because my daughter was like well, why don't we watch the show i'm like you know what let's watch it and i had forgotten just like how the hell did nbc get away with broadcasting this, I shit. was amazed. I don't know. Uh, it's so much worse in the movies. <laughs> so worse. Like by episode four, I'm like, oh fuck! I think I made the wrong decision here. Wait, uh, what, happened, like, I, what happened in episode four? You'll have to remind me. Is that uh, the angel one? Yeah, that's the angel. Oh, one. okay. Yeah. yeah, that's where it hit me. I'm like, and I was like, oh, this fuck show me, no. is ridiculous. <laughs> Like, in all, but in the best ways. I yeah, we, yes. we finally wrapped it up about uh, maybe two months ago, maybe two or three months ago. And after, on the last episode, uh, Julia, first of all, she was like, that's the way it ends. Like, come on. And like, yeah, everybody thought that. But then she was like, how did they get away with showing that on TV? Like, I don't know. Like, I have no idea how they got away with this shit. It looks like an HBO show or something Definitely. that belongs. Yeah, yeah no, seriously. So, I mean, but it's interesting. Like, I asked my kids if they had any interest in this, or I actually asked both of them, like, what do you know about the Silence of the Lambs? What do you know about Hannibal Lecter? And it was interesting, like, what had gotten into them, um, and not a whole lot. Um, oh. one, the, the elder pointed out to me that, um, uh, Chris on the family on Family Guy uh, started ma doing oh, yeah. the voice as yes. trying to be Buffalo Bill, and like that—that's what—that's um, what they thought was a, a funny idea for the that's character. Point of reference. Oh my god! I'm like, what? And they're like, it's just such a specific voice, and then uh, they thought it was really funny. So I'm like what that can't be true and then i looked it up and I'm like yep, yep totally yep. totally true um and then and then they knew the the like sort of meme stuff the, the i ate his liver with fava beans and a nice candy. um but other than that they like had no idea anything else beyond that which is interesting that like what what has and hasn't like through osmosis seeped into various parts of the culture but Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I didn't show this to my kids. If they wanted to, I'd maybe watch it with them if they, if like we had a talk afterwards. <laughs> so, um, just because I know I found this so disturbing, I didn't know. You know, uh, I, I think 
that's that's the the rule like uh know your kids and know that an 18 year old andy was still not emotionally ready to watch this movie and 18 year old uh, brooke did not know what was flying out of the cell so <laughs> there you go we had a lot of ground to cover i didn't have a baby till 32 okay <laughs> That's actually the perfect age, I think. Yeah, me too. Me exactly at 32. Uh, yeah. All right. Um, okay. Um, so that's that's it. Next week we have the Hannibal Ugh. sequel. I'm not um, dreading it. Um, you're not. Um, <laughs> I'm dreading Hannibal Rising. Like, holy shit. Oh, that that well, yeah, but I don't know. So... This will this will be interesting, uh, but yeah, we we got that. That'll be that'll be fun. Thanks everyone for for hanging hanging in here and talking I about hope, this uh, classy cannibal movie. I hope the Andy stops screaming. Have they stopped screaming, <laughs> I hope the Kong Cone stops screaming. I can smell you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, some notes for creepy, and then it got really. Nah, that's, uh, I don't know where it went. All right. Um, so anyway, on that. Okay. Note, on that everybody note, grab a, uh, everybody grab a shower. Yeah. Uh, see you. Yeah. See you next Cold week. I gotta. Shower. I gotta apparently go uh, wash up. Watch Rambo. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, watch Rambo while you're washing up. Okay. Watch Rambo. Best way to okay. watch it. Scrub oh. up. Yeah. I gotta go because I'm having an old friend for dinner. So oh, see y'all. Well <laughs> okay, that's Wah. it. We're right. that's it. All right, bye everybody. Thank you. That will be all. God damn it! That's not all. Because if one of those things gets down here, then that will be all. Then all this, this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye. This show is part of the Geek Nerd Network. Geek Nerd Network. Find more shows like it at geeknerdnetwork.com. This is Janet.